Hello, and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast. The show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Clint Tolbert introduces our new sermon series based on the book of Colossians. We will dive deeply into this letter written by the Apostle Paul to new believers as we take hold of the hope of the gospel now. Let's hear today's message. Let me tell you why I think this journal will be helpful to you. One, uh, it is written in a slightly different translation than that of our Pew Bible. It's the English Standard Version. Not terribly different, but enough that you might appreciate having it in front of you. The journal, you'll notice once you get it, is the scripture on one page and a blank page opposite of it. So that you can make your own notes You can write your own thoughts. My hope this summer is that we will really lean in deeply to the book of Colossians together to understand what it meant and to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us during this time. So I I think this will be a helpful resource to you. I'd like you to use it during the sermons and if you're at home reading Colossians during your, your personal study. With that in mind, Uh, remember that we have a pastor's Bible study on Thursday mornings and there are other covenant groups and Bible studies that will be taking up Colossians this summer. If you'd like to be a part of a group studying this together, talk to Pastor Jason or Stacy in the back after the service and they can help you. I'm also excited to, to go through this book together through the summer because I think it's a way for us to be connected at a time of year where we are often kind of all going here or there. Summer's a time for family, family vacations and trips. And um, if we study this book together, my hope is that even when you're away, you can take the journal, you can find us on YouTube, worship online, or a, a new resource we have, thanks to Bill Woodruff, is we, we've begun a podcast Uh, Some of you don't know what a podcast is. If that's you, don't worry about it. But some of you appreciate podcasts, and and we'll be glad to know the sermon will be in podcast form shortly after our Sunday mornings together. And so if you listen in the car, you can find it just by putting our church's name into whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Okay? My, my son Isaac is in the University of Cincinnati. He's an engineering student. They have a co-op program. And so uh, one of the things that they do is they'll study for a semester and then he works for a company uh, for a semester. Then he'll study and work, study and work. Though they have counselors uh, there to help students, it is the student's responsibility to find the company with which they will co-op. It's, it's a fairly daunting task for a 19 or 20-year-old. Surprise, surprise, some of them procrastinate. And so it was around Thanksgiving time, I was asking my son, so do you have that lined up? It was supposed to begin January 1st. And I got the, um, thought about it, right? Well, of course, it was pretty late. We were scrambling. I thought, what are we, what are we going to do if he doesn't have a co-op for, how does that affect his academic studies. Well, thankfully, my brother is fairly well-connected in that 
world. And so it took only a phone call to Uncle Brad to get the wheels turning. And by a few emails, he had a co-op set up very, very quickly. Reminds me of the statement, it's all about who you know, right? I mean, we know that mantra in the world, it's all about who you know, whether it's a job you're trying to find, a school you're trying to get into, uh, maybe a social club, maybe just some sort of help that you need. Life is much about who you know. Well, this morning, as I introduce you to the book of Colossians, that phrase comes to mind. It's all about who you know. For there are 12 individual people mentioned in this short four-chapter book. Often when we read the scripture, if you're like me, a list of names and, and your eyes kind of glaze over because you think, well, what do these people have to do with me? But in Colossians, quite a few of them are people we can know in specific ways through other parts of Scripture, and whose backstories will largely help us take hold of the book in a more personal and relevant way than we could have without knowing them uh, a little bit more deeply. And so like my brother helped my son, I want to be one who helps you by introducing you to some people who you, know, who you should know. And by knowing them, I believe you'll be able to receive this book, and we together will understand God's word about our life together in uh, ways more deep than before. And so let me pray and then invite you to open. You can open it right in your journal, open to Colossians chapter 1. We'll look at the first couple of verses, and then we'll go to the end of the book and look at the last section where he sends all sorts of greetings. But let me pray before we do that. Lord Jesus, thank you for the word that you have given to us, a word written by real people in real situations, but also a divine word given to us in this day. Would you help us to receive it as such, Lord, that we understand not only what it meant long ago, but that, that in leaning in with our spirit, we might hear you speaking to us. And that hearing, we may leave as changed people, encouraged to remember who we are and who you call us to be, going with uh, the encouragement that the gospel brings to bring your kingdom more fully into the world. Speak, Holy Spirit, through your word we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's... Let's look at the way this letter begins. It's a beginning that is very similar to most of the other New Testament books that are letters, often called epistles. It reads, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in, the, in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Well, the first name you need to know, of course, is Paul. Many of you know that name already. He has authored many of the books in the New Testament. Paul is an apostle of Jesus, as he says. An apostle is one who is set apart and directly appointed by Jesus himself to carry the gospel to others. 
Paul has been given the task to carry the gospel to the Gentile world. That is, all people who are not Jewish. You are likely aware that that the Christian faith began within the Jewish world. Jesus himself was Jewish. Most of his followers were Jewish. At first, our faith was thought of as simply a different sect of Judaism until the Apostle Paul carried the message of the gospel beyond the Jewish world to the Gentile world. You need to know Paul, or as he was first known, Saul. Acts chapter 9 tells of his story. You might want to write down that reference in your journal next to this greeting so that you can go back and be reminded of who this guy is. It will tell you of a man named Saul who was a who was a deeply Jewish man. He was a Pharisee and he was adamant that Jesus was not the Messiah that all those who were following him were telling lies, and so he pursued them, made their life hard, even oversaw the execution and murder of some of the earliest Christians. Until, on one journey to the city of Damascus, Jesus, who had already ascended into heaven, miraculously confronted him on the road. and said, Saul, what are you doing? And it's by that miraculous encounter, Saul became Paul, and his life took on a wholly different mission. I'll leave the story for you to read on your own. But Paul goes from there to take the gospel to the Gentile world. He does so in in three primary missionary journeys, journeys that took many years to accomplish all through the ancient Near East. He went city after city, Philippi and Ephesus and many that we see named in the Scripture. But one of the cities he did not stop at was Colossae, the city where the Colossians are found. This is not a church that Paul founded, but only a church he heard about. Nonetheless, it was a church he very much cared for, and it's why he wrote the letter. The scripture introduces us to Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and then cues us about something really, really important. That though this is a letter written by Paul, it is not primarily a word from him. For Paul is called into ministry by the will of God. And so too do we receive this letter. Never forget, even as I'm saying Paul thinks that and Paul did this and Paul writes that, that Paul is not the main character of this letter. God is. It's by God's will that Paul lives and breathes and ministers and writes, and it's God who is lifted up here. Finally, in this greeting, you see Timothy. Timothy is one often associated with Paul. He's kind of his protege in the faith. He's a a young man. And his presence in this letter reminds us of something that that the church ought to always care about. And that is the multi-generational, multiplying aspect of our faith together. Again, it was so great this morning to have five third graders here. It was great to 
to pray for and celebrate graduates that we were sending off. For the life of the church is always meant to be a life shared from one generation to the next. We see that by the simple listing of Paul and Timothy. Paul writes, he says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. The ancient city of Colossae. Well, let's talk about that city for a little bit so you can orient yourself. That city is in current day modern Turkey. Here's a map you can uh, see to kind of orient yourself. Colossae would be in Turkey today at that time in a region that was known as the Lycus River Valley. And there were three cities that were situated there in the Lycus River Valley. Laodicea, Hierapolis... In Colossae, uh, Paul is imprisoned for his faith and ministry in Rome, which you can see on the map, and he is writing to these churches. We're going to read the end of the book, and you'll notice Laodicea mentioned, but I want to talk about it here. Laodicea was a, a city, as you see, near Colossae, also a church there. And you will hear Paul say, look, I'm writing you this letter. When you are done, Colossians, share it with your brothers and sisters over in Laodicea. And know that I'm also writing them a letter. So when you give your letter to them, make sure that you receive the letter that I wrote to them and read that as well. Interesting, don't you think? As I read that, I was trying to think about what questions people might have. And I, and I thought the natural question would be, well, then where's the letter to the church of Laodicea? Right? If when Paul writes to the people in Philippi, and we have Philippians, and he writes to the people in Ephesus, and we have Ephesians, and he writes to the people at Colossae, and we have Colossians, then how come we don't have Laodiceans, however you would say that? What is that? What are we to think about that? Well, just in case you're not aware, Laodicea uh, obviously is a real city and was a real church at the time. If you wanted to make another note in your journal, you could write Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, because it's there that the church in Laodicea is mentioned in that apocalyptic prophetic book. But we don't have Paul's letter to the church of Laodicea. What are we supposed to make of that? You know, there are lots of people these days who call into question uh, the trustworthiness of the epistles, of the apostle Paul. They even wonder whether Paul wrote some of these actual books that, that we believe he did or that are introduced as such. You have to be careful which churches you go into these days, for you will, you will hear those kind of an undermining of the Scripture. Likewise, you will hear people suggest, well, you don't really even know how the Bible came together. You know, it was just kind of ancient and corrupt men, after all, who decided which books are in and, and which books are out. I remember it was probably a decade ago or more, Dan Brown wrote the book, The Da Vinci Code. You know that book? I actually like it. It's a really entertaining book, but it's in the book that he, he suggested, hey, we really can't trust the church 
or those who put together what's called the canon of Scripture. What are we supposed to think of that? Especially as we hear about this letter to the Laodiceans that didn't make the Bible. Well, I just want to share with you there are reasons we can trust Paul and his authorship and the canon of Scripture. If you want to ask me about that, I'd love to have conversations, but I'm going to leave it at that. I don't have time, but, but even if there were some questions about that, here's the most important thing to remember. That as we take up the study of Scripture, our primary trust is not in Paul or any other human being, but in God himself, who has given us the Scripture as his own word. We trust the ministry of the Holy Spirit and always have. As Presbyterians, one of the ways that we, 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 we read Scripture is by the help of a, something called the Book of Confessions. It's a compilation of a bunch of ancient statements, one of which is the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I want to put it in front of you just to remind you of what this church has always believed, at least according to its documents. Can we put that up? It speaks of the Holy Spirit and says this, By Him, the Holy Spirit, the prophets were moved to speak the Word of God, and all the writers of the Holy Scriptures inspired to record infallibly the mind and will of God. The dispensation of the gospel is especially committed to Him. He prepares the way for it, accompanies it, with his persuasive power, and urges its message upon the reason and conscience of men, so that they who reject its merciful offer are not only without excuse, but are also guilty of resisting the Holy Spirit. What, what did that mean? It means this. It is the Holy Spirit who inspired the writing of Scripture. It is the Holy Spirit who superintended the the, the canonization of the Bible. It is the Holy Spirit who, who moves through me as I preach, and it's the Holy Spirit who prepares your heart as we share this time together. We depend on no individual person, but on God and His Spirit as we come into this book. And in case you're one uh, who struggles with that and maybe doubts, let me encourage you to trust the ministry of the Spirit, at least as an experiment for this summer, as you already trust a whole bunch of other people and words that you don't understand and don't really, uh, and aren't sure how to explain. You do that every day. You realize that, right? When your doctor says, you should do X, Y, or Z, you don't understand fully the physiology of your body or what it is they're trying to tell you. You simply trust the word of your doctor and the expertise there. When your accountant says you really ought to move this from here to there, you do it, though you may not understand the intricacies of the stock market. When your attorney says, watch out, you really ought to sign this document, you may not fully understand, but you sign. In a similar way, as your pastor, here's my encouragement. Lean into the scripture. Express honestly to God, hey, I, I'm not so sure I understand, and I'm a little troubled, 
But what I just heard is that if I will seek to meet you here in the study of the Scripture, you will encounter me in a special way. I believe if you'll do that, God will keep his word. And you will see in the heart of your soul the authenticity of God's word to you this morning. So let's do that together this summer. All right. Well, it's, it's all about who you know. Paul, I've told you about, but there's a whole bunch more at the back of this book that I want to introduce you to. I want to introduce you to them because this letter is all about what it means to live for Jesus in community together with one another, just as these people did. And so knowing a little bit about their life will tee up some themes that will help us learn about our own life together. And so let me read it, Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities, Paul writes. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, Welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Well, I'll not name all of these people, but there are a few whose stories can help us Uh, better understand our own stories together. The first I want to point out is the man Epaphras. Do you see him listed in verse 12? Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Epaphras was from the city of Colossae, that he is one of their number, and he somehow heard the message of the gospel, came to faith in Christ, and was burdened for his own community. It wasn't enough that he found Jesus. It was really, really important to him that Jesus be lifted up amongst those he loved. And so he's the one 
who went to see the Apostle Paul, and he's the one who brings the letter back. It's Epaphras who Paul writes about near the beginning of the letter in verses 7 and 8 when he writes, You learned it, that is the gospel, from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. As you think about Epaphras, I want you to think about your own uh, affection and your own concern for our church family, our community. Is your faith just about you? Is your faith a private thing, as, as we're told in American culture it's supposed to be? Or are you burdened for one another? Not just your spouse or your children, but one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Epaphras was burdened for his city, was burdened for his family. Epaphras lifted up Jesus in a powerful way in the church. It was Epaphras who was praying, we're told in the letter, diligently with a burden for those he cared about, a burden so great. Remember that map? That he traveled hundreds of miles out of concern for his neighbors, that they might receive an apostolic word from a man he knew was called by God. I wonder if we carry that burden for one another. I want you to know a little bit about Mark and his cousin Barnabas listed there in the scripture as well. You see verse 10, Mark the cousin of Barnabas concerning whom you have received instructions. Boy, that's an ominous phrase, is it not? Concern it'd be like someone coming up to you remember what I told you about John, right? You're listening. What, what did he tell him about John? There's a backstory here that's important for knowing and receiving this letter. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Well, here's the backstory. Paul called by Jesus to carry the gospel to the Gentile world, as I've already told you, was not called alone. He was given some partners. One of those partners was Barnabas. If you go read in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas were the first missionary team called to carry the gospel where it had never gone before. And they carried it together, and they did so powerfully until a moment that you can read about for yourself in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. You might write that in your journal somewhere near this comment about Mark and the cousin of Barnabas. If you go read that, an account written by Luke, one of the other people mentioned in this book, by the way, one I won't touch on beyond that, you will hear about this severe disagreement. Paul and Barnabas are on this journey together. It's a dangerous journey. They don't know where they're going. They don't know how they'll be provided for. If you read in the book of Acts, you'll see sometimes they are met with uh, great animosity, even almost losing their lives. It takes a lot of trust and a lot of boldness in those you are serving with. So Paul and Barnabas are going together, but they also have a greater team around them, 
And at one point, one member of that team was Barnabas's cousin, Mark. Mark was a young man, and as he's going on this journey, it seems he gets a little faint of heart. And at some point, he goes, look, I just can't do this anymore. And he turns around, and he leaves. Paul uses the words, abandons them. Then, a little while later, as we often do as human beings, Mark, wrestling in his soul, said, okay, I'm going to try again. And he comes back. Barnabas is eager to receive him, forgive him, and let Mark join their company again. But not Paul. Paul, it seems, sometimes lives by that mantra, fool me once, (laughs) shame on me, right? Or shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. I mean, he... He wasn't having any part of it. This is too dangerous. You need to trust those you're going into battle with. And so he absolutely opposed Mark's presence. The disagreement was so severe that in what you'll read there, you'll see that it splits Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas and Mark go off together. Paul and a man named Silas go off together. It harms the gospel greatly. That's the backstory. So when you read concerning whom you have received instructions, what do you think he's saying? Hey, yeah, so if Mark shows up, and you already heard from me about Mark, what do you think they heard from him about Mark? Don't listen to Mark, right? Don't receive Mark. Mark's a coward. Mark shouldn't be included in your number. I don't know what Paul said to them, but I'm sure it wasn't good. But now he's saying, hey, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. See, it's really important as we come into this book to recognize that when Paul writes about Forgiveness, for example, as he does in Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This is not theoretical doctrine for Paul. It's something he had to live out for himself. He was hurt. He was angry. He held a grudge. He did all of these things with Mark and with Barnabas And he had to remember how Jesus forgave him and live in that way with Mark before he then calls the church to do so as well. So keep that in mind when we're in those passages. Nympha. Raise your hand if you know Nympha. I'll call you a liar if you do. I didn't even know Nympha. Nobody knows Nympha. What a mysterious woman. Do you see Nympha here? Nympha, verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Verse 15. What a mysterious woman. You are certainly aware that the church in those days did not have buildings such as we're in right now, but met in people's homes. 
And so they benefited from those who had larger than average homes and who would welcome uh, the assembly into their home. But make no mistake, when Paul uh, points out somebody in the Scripture and says, send greetings to this person and the church that meets in their home, it's more than the recognition that they've opened their door. It's more than the recognition that they've offered hospitality. They did more than just put out punch and cookies. At almost every occasion through the New Testament, when, when Paul says, greet such and such, and the church that meets in their home, that such and such is the leader of the church. Nympha is likely the leader of the church that meets in her home. I want you to remember that when we get to Colossians 3.18. Here's Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit to your husbands, <laughs> as is fitting to the Lord. You know, in our, in our modern culture, when we read a statement such as this, some have a conscience so informed that they would go, whoa, we don't believe that anymore, do we? I mean, why would we degrade or, or press down on women to say that they should submit to anybody? And we, we begin to develop this kind of sense that, that Paul and the Scripture might be antiquated and patriarchal. But friends, that would be a misreading and frankly a cheap understanding of the Scripture. My hope is that when we get to that passage in the household codes, we wouldn't immediately reject them. I mean, that's the tendency. I preached just yesterday at a wedding from Ephesians that had a similar phrase, and I had, to, I had to, before I read it, say, now you're about to hear something you haven't heard much anymore lately, and some of you might not be really happy that I'm reading it, but if you'll hang on for a little bit, I think you'll understand and appreciate what it means. You have to do that. I hope when we get to that, you'll remember Nympha. This woman who is elevated by Paul and given special honor at the end of his book. And that you'll be able to consider the possibility that the Apostle Paul maybe isn't quite the misogynist that some people have made him out to be. But that actually God's word might have helpful divine instruction to men and women. And to help to those of us who live within a home. All right, one more person, and then we'll wrap up. Probably the most important person to know in this book besides Paul. Onesimus. Onesimus. In the letter, you read about him in verse 9. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? To which the people listening are going, wait, really? Brother? One of us, Onesimus? See, Onesimus was the most surprising name in this letter because he is one who had been in their midst but had been absent for a long time. Onesimus was a runaway slave. Or, as the ESV translates it, I think a little more helpfully, bond servant. They translate it in that way because for us in America, when we hear slavery, we hear of the we think of the atrocities of, of the African slave trade in our, in our own history. 
And we need to be careful, while there is certainly some relationship between slavery in the Scripture and slavery in our nation's history, they are different things. A bondservant was somebody who owed money, owed a debt, and so committed themselves to pay it off in the ancient world. And that's what Onesimus was. Except he didn't pay it off. He ran away. And the whole community, you've got to believe, had been going, where's Onesimus? Where's he gone? When's he coming back? And all of a sudden, he shows up, and he's named in this letter, and he's called a brother. We read about Onesimus, not just in Colossians. We read about him in another letter, the letter addressed to Philemon. Paul wrote that letter, too. Let's look at what he wrote. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. So get this in your mind's eye. This is cool. So Onesimus, Epaphras, and a crowd of others are given a letter from Paul to the Colossians, but not just one letter, two letters. One letter is a public letter meant to be read to the church. Another is a private letter meant for one man only. His name was Philemon. In the public letter, Paul speaks about what it means to live as a community of faith, roots it in the supremacy of the gospel, and then speaks to people categorically, wives and husbands and children, slaves and masters. And then in the private letter, he speaks directly to Philemon about this one Onesimus. What must it have been like to be Philemon or to be Onesimus during this time? We're going to read them together. When we get to that point in Colossians where he speaks a word to slaves and masters, we're going to take a break for a week. And we'll read Philemon right there. And consider not only what that meant for them, but what it means for us. For it invites us to think about our relationship together, not as the world so often does, not on economic or social status, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, all free by the grace and name of Jesus. So imagine, if you haven't already, you're in the crowd in the ancient city of Colossae, and you're hearing this letter read. It's a real letter from a real person to real people in a real city. But 2,000 years later, we recognize it is also a divine word. And it lifts up, lifts up the theme of the book in Colossians 1.27, which says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the hope of glory? This thing our heart and our soul longs for, what is it? It is Christ in you, plural. There's where you'll find Jesus. There's where you find hope. There's where glory resides and there's where we'll give our attention all summer long 
It is the life of the church, not just in Colisee, but in Maumee or Crater Toledo or Northwest Ohio. It's within us that the riches of God's mystery are revealed. The hope of glory. And so I, I hope you'll lean in. I hope you'll give yourself to this study as much as you can. I hope you'll be here every Sunday that you can. And when you're not, you'll be tuning in. I hope you'll gr- join a group or a Bible study. I hope you'll wake up every morning and read and take some notes. More than anything, I hope you are encountered by God himself through his spirit. We hope you've enjoyed our First Prez Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.